while they continue to add the flowers to the cross, turning this symbol of death into a sign of new life. We will go ahead and turn to our Old Testament lesson to be found on page 1096 in your pew Bibles. This is Isaiah chapter 25, and it's verses 6 through 9. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. God, we pray that you help us to pay attention to your word. There were so many who knew your word, who had heard it, how you had promised to send your son, and they didn't recognize him when they came. When he came. Your word had promised that your son would come, that he would live, that he would die, but that he would rise again. And yet on that first Easter morning, there were many who didn't remember the promises or who didn't believe. God, I pray that you'd help us to pay attention to your word today, that we would know what it is that you have told us, that you are telling us, God, that through your word and through your spirit, that you would continue making us into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, that looks good. Thank you very much. Isaiah chapter 26, starting, or chapter 25, starting in verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Turning into our gospel lesson. John chapter 20. Verses 1 through 18, which can be found on page 1685 in Pew Bibles. This first Easter morning, John chapter 20 says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. 
As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning is Easter. We have been singing a lot already about the resurrection of Jesus. And you probably have some good idea that the resurrection of Jesus has something to do with Christianity. I would hope you have some, some indication there. It's kind of a big deal. But here's the thing. Whether you grew up in church or not, whether you grew up in a Christian family or not, there are a lot of different ideas of what Christianity is kind of all about, like what the main uh, outline of the story is, and so, or what it means to be a Christian. And so here are some of the things that are pretty common whether you grew up in, in church or not. So one is that the idea of the story goes like this. That um, there is a God, and that he is, um, for some reason, he's got these people that he gives lots of commandments to. Lots and lots of rules, and we don't know why he's given us these rules, but he's given us lots of rules, and you have to follow them, because if you don't, he'll send you to hell. And he gets really mad if you don't follow his rules. And so he'll send you to hell, and that is kind of the story that a lot of people have, and so we've got to follow these rules. And then we say, but wait. I didn't follow the rules. Now what happens? We say, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Jesus came. And so that's, that's the story that a lot of people have. There are bits of truth in there, but that is not the story. Another version of the story goes like this. Look, all we have to do is find out what the rules are that God has given. And then we just need to make sure that we get it right more than we get it wrong. Because at the end of our lives, that's what's going to be, right? You just, at the end of your life, God's going to look at it all, and he's going to put it all in the scales and the balance, and he's going to say, do your good things outweigh your bad things. And if that's the case, all right, welcome to heaven. If not, go to hell. That is the version that a lot of people have. And we say, well, how does Jesus factor into that? And everybody goes, I don't know. <laughs> that is also not the message of Christianity. It is not the gospel. There's a, uh, but it's, it's a pretty common view, unfortunately. Maybe sitting here today, you're like, I thought that was the story. That's not the story? No, it's not. There are plenty of other versions of, uh, of how people understand what Christianity is all about. And I love, there was a, um, an author, pastor, theologian, by the name N.T. Wright, who talks about a lot of these stories that we have even when you include Jesus, somehow the story goes, you end up telling the story in a way that makes it sound like this. 
God so hated the world that he killed his son. And he said, that is not the story of, <laughs> of Christianity. That's not the story of Jesus. It's not the story of the Bible. It's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. Gospel actually means good news. And you probably, if you know one verse in the whole Bible, you know this one. John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Right? That's very different. And so if the version that you have in your head of what Christianity is involves a God who hates the world <laughs> so much that he has to kill his son somehow in it. Um, maybe this is a good time to reevaluate what that story really is. Uh, the story is so much bigger than any of these versions that I've given you so far, and it's the kind of story that really kind of takes 66 books <laughs> to tell it all. So we're not going to tell it all right now, but I am going to tell you a part of the story, or at least how it works out in... Uh, in some of the lives of the early Christians. This is, I don't know, has anybody here seen the movie that just came out recently, Paul, the Apostle of Christ? Have you seen that one yet? couple? No? Go see it, and then let's talk. <laughs> um, it is a really interesting movie. It's got a lot, of, a lot of good things in there, and not something straight from the Bible, but it's taken uh, from, yeah. See it first, then we'll talk. Okay. <laughs> But this is, if you've seen it, this will give you kind of a mental picture, though, because the story I want to tell you is a time of when Paul himself was in prison, which is what that movie entails. Anyway, uh, this is a different time. This is when Paul and Silas end up in prison. But I want to tell you this story because as you hear this story that doesn't seem at first glance like it has anything to do with the resurrection of Jesus, we'll see by the end, it has everything to do with the resurrection of Jesus and the story of all Christianity and what that means for us today. So here we go. This is Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. And Paul and his companions have uh, been traveling around. They were trying to go and they were checking on churches that they had started before. And then they were going to new areas and telling people about Jesus there. And they were wanting to go to certain places. And the Spirit of God was saying, nope, not there. Nope, not there. Nope, not there. It's like closing doors at every turn until finally he has this vision, go to Macedonia. And so he says, okay, I'm going to go there. And so they go there, and they have, you know, had a few conversations. They had, you know, a couple of converts that we saw earlier in this chapter. And now we have in, uh, yeah, further in the story of what's going on in Philippi, where they are now. And it says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. <laughs> you got to love this guy, right? Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Okay, we're going to pause for a second. I don't, did you hear what it was she was saying? She was saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. True or false? <laughs> who are these guys? They are servants of the Most High God. And what is it they're doing? They're telling the people the way to be saved. So it seems like, you know, maybe she's on, on their team, right? She's just 
little PR, a little free advertising. This is who they are. This is what they're doing. But no, that is not what's going on. And so uh, Paul <laughs> gets annoyed and actually sends a demon out of her. Um, we'll, get, we'll get back to that. But here's what happens next. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, we were, we were kind of counting on that demon for our economic advantage. Oh, well. Good thing nobody does that today. Okay. Um, when her owners realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd does what crowds always do. They joined in. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Here we're going to pause again. One of the other versions of Christianity that's very popular is a version that goes like this. God loves me so much, but I'm really messed up, and so my life is going bad. But if I just, you know, pray a prayer and accept God, then somehow he's going to make everything in the rest of my life go well. If I just believe enough that he's going to make things go well with me, then they'll go well. And that means economic success. It means family and relational success. It means business success. And it means um, health success. (laughs) No more sickness, no more pain. That also is not the gospel, by the way. And here's one of the places where you can see that pretty clearly that's not the case, because here we have Paul and Silas, and they are going and they are doing exactly what it is that Jesus has been leading them to do. They have not gone the places he said don't go. They've gone the places they said to go. They are completely living by faith. They're trusting Jesus every which way. And what just happened? A whole crowd rose up against them, and gets them beaten and thrown in prison. Hmm. Well, that doesn't seem to be going very well. Now, we continue the story. How do they respond? Um, If we were writing the story, we might expect it to go like this. In verse 25, we might say, about midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining to each other, wondering what in the world God was up to and why they'd been stuck in this terrible prison as they bandaged their wounds and commiserated. But that's not what it says. That's not in there at all. In fact, verse 25 actually reads like this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I'd imagine so. And suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Hallelujah. Now, this is the part of the story where we go, aha, now we get it. Now we get what's going on here. God wanted them to be in prison so that he could do this miraculous release, and that way they'd be free and everyone would see the power of God. But that's not how the story goes either. Here's the way the story goes. Their chains are gone. 
they are free in prison. And instead of escaping, they stay there. Verse 27, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas had their chains fall off while they're in prison. They didn't leave. Why did they not leave? If they leave, then whatever punishment they were going to get is what the jailer gets. Like that was kind of the deal they had. He knows this. When he wakes up and all the doors are open and the chains are gone, he's like, well, of course people are going to run away. That's what people do. Everyone is self-interested, and they're going to do what is best for them. Here's where the message of Christianity comes in. Because the whole message of Christianity circles around Jesus, who did not do things to his own advantage, but gave up his rights for us, who gave up his freedom for us. And so we have Paul and Silas sitting here in this prison cell, and here they are set free, and yet they give up their freedom for the jailer. He has seen and heard them praying and singing. He's seen after they've been beaten and locked in the cell. And now he sees them give up their freedom for him. And so how does he respond? He says, what must I do to be saved? I know that you have something that I want. What must I do? What must I do? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus translation here. It's not what you have to do. It's what he's already done. It's not something you need to do. It's something he's already done. So believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. There's a distinction between this jailer and the girl we saw earlier uh, that had the demon that was proclaiming these men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Here's the distinction. Does the girl know who they are? Does she know who the Most High God is? Yeah, that's what this, that's what, demons know this kind of stuff. But as James points out, they know it. They know what is true, but they shudder when they think of it. Because they're not going to submit their lives to the one true God. What happens with the jailer? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Not just believe that Jesus existed. Not just believe that Jesus died for your sins, or that's important. 
not just believe that Jesus raised again from the dead, though that is critical. Paul says if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're the most to be pitied of everyone. I mean, look what this is getting us to follow Jesus, getting beaten and thrown in prison. But if Jesus did come and teach and live and heal and give signs of who he is, and if he did die for our sins, and if he did raise again to new life, not just meaning life for us someday, which it does mean, but also that he is the Lord. This is the evidence that the writers throughout the rest of the New Testament continue to point back to this resurrection that shows that Jesus is the Lord, that he is the king over all creation, that he is the king over you and me. This is where he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And a lot of us, I'm afraid, even those of us who have grown up in churches or have grown up in Christianity or around Christianity, sort of have this other idea that is closer to the demon's idea than it is to the, what Paul and Silas told the jailer. And it goes like this. As long as I know the right information about Jesus, then I'm good. Nothing else matters. I know the right information, and therefore, I can just live the rest of my life because you know, all that is is a ticket now that I've got, and I'll just wait till I die, and then I'll cash my ticket in and go to heaven. We're good. That's not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is that there is a God who loves the world, who created it good. But every single person has fallen away, has turned away from God and said, no, I know better than you know. And he spent the whole rest of human history coming to his people again and again and saying, return to me, return to me, return to me. My way is the only way that will work for you. I know you better than you know yourself. And I love you and I want what is best for you. Will you trust me to be the one to tell you that? And again and again, we say, no, (laughs) we won't. And then Jesus comes. And he says, let me show you what this kind of a life looks like. And let me show you what it means to live in relationship with God the Father so close. And people look at this life and they say, it's beautiful. And they hear his teaching and they say, where does he get this kind of stuff? This is amazing. And they watch the signs that he performs and they show who he is in connection with God the Father. And yet, they still reject him. And not just reject him like walk away from him, but like reject him as in kill him. But the story continues, and that is what we're celebrating today, that all, all of the evil and the darkness and the wickedness that we can come up with cannot overcome the goodness and the love of God. I can't remember the line exactly, but there's a line in a song I heard this weekend that talks about all the darkness that there is. Uh, It can't do anything to keep the light from coming in, right? Think about that. If you have a room full of darkness and you turn on the light, the light doesn't have to fight its way in at all, does it? Darkness gone. So everything that we threw at Jesus, 
all the sin, as we've seen from the beginning, leads to death. And he took that death on himself. He took the punishment, the penalty of sin on himself. And it killed him. But it didn't stop him. And so uh, with his first breath, he put death to death. Another line of that song. Puts death to death. And so we do have hope for ourselves. That if we are united with him, that we do have life after death. But there's so much more to it than that. Because it's not just that we have life waiting for us after we die, but we have a new life now. This is what Jesus talked about with Nicodemus when he said, you must be born again. You must be born from above. You must have this new life of the Spirit. This is what we see. Paul and Silas living. This is what we see them proclaiming to the Philippian jailer. It's a life that says, I'm not just waiting to cash in my ticket when I die. I am living by faith now, trusting that God's way is better than my way. I am trusting that he's going to lead me where he wants me to be, and I'm going to follow him in that, even if it means into a prison cell. I don't know how we got the idea that if we follow Jesus, everything will turn out well. It didn't seem to turn out well for him. And he even said, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. That's the message of Christianity. It's one of a relationship with the God who created you, a relationship made possible by Jesus, a relationship that is founded and built on love and a trust that we should have for our creator and his love for us above all. And this is why when we see um, Paul and Silas even in prison, They're able to sing hymns to God and praying even after they've been beaten. Paul wrote a letter when he was in a Roman prison later, and he wrote it back to this church that starts in Philippi, probably including this Philippian jailer. And one of the things that he says to them is, uh, it's like, you guys have heard that that I'm in jail. He said, but I, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim, their gospel, proclaim the gospel without fear. In other words, he goes back to the, or he writes back to this church in Philippi and says, guess what, I'm in prison again. And I don't want you to, to worry about that because I'm in prison again so that the people here in prison and around the prison We'll hear about Jesus. Paul is perfectly willing to give up his freedom for others, for the good of others. The Christian story has an awful lot to do with exactly that. That those of us who have been united to Christ, who have a relationship with God, can no longer see ourselves at the center. He's at the center, and that means reconciled with him and with each other. That just as he gave up his freedom for us, calls us to give up our freedoms, our rights, for the good of others. That is not normal. (laughs) What is normal in this world is you've got to stand up for your rights. You've got to fight for your rights. 
You've got to make sure that no one takes any of your rights from you. But hear this. Who took Jesus' life from him? Was it the Romans? Was it the Sanhedrin? Jewish leaders? You could say that. That's not what Jesus said. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I give it up. Are we willing to give up our lives for him and then so for others? And so know what it means to live a new life, a new life that goes on forever but starts now. This is something... The Philippian jailer was then baptized with his family as a sign of starting that new life. If you have never been baptized, it would be a good time to consider that. If you'd like to be, come talk to me. If you have been baptized, we have something else. We'll celebrate here in a little bit. This is the Lord's Supper. In the same way that we are born once, but we still need to eat to stay alive, We are baptized once, but we take communion all the time as this constant reminder that it's not about us. It's about who he is and what he's done. That he is at the center of everything. And as a way of celebrating, celebrating this new life that came at a price, but a new life nonetheless. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.